0: Life Church. And for those of you who weren't with us last week, uh, we started a series last week. We started a new series called The Kingdom. We're looking in the book of Matthew and, and this idea and this concept of the kingdom that Jesus talks so much about. It's so prevalent throughout the book of Matthew and yet so little is understood and so little is talked about. This idea and this concept of the kingdom and what it really is, and what Jesus was talking about. And in Matthew the sixth chapter and verse thirty-three, Jesus begins his ministry. He's preaching, and there the Sermon of the Mount, and he's in the midst of uh, what would be one of the most the, one of the greatest sermons of all time. And he's kicking off his ministry with a bang, and he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and then everything else. He will give you everything that you need." But he's very clear on his instructions in that we as believers, we who are to be followers of Christ, are to seek first the kingdom. We're to seek first the kingdom. And last week we talked about this idea and this concept of the kingdom and what it is and this great thing that... Begins as such a small thing and too often we are, we're looking towards, like the disciples, we're looking for this military revolution. We're looking towards somebody who's going to come and lead this great coup against our governments that's going to lead this great revival or this great church that we can jump on board with that's gonna just do the work for us and gonna revolutionize. And the disciples were the same thing. They were looking to the Messiah to be the one who would change everything. And yet Jesus was coming and saying, no, 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 the kingdom is a seed that is implanted into the life of the believer through which God wants to do a work in our lives that by you, the kingdom will be perpetuated. By you, that this thing would be uh, seen and made real. By your faithfulness and nurturing of the kingdom is how this happens and so we know that the kingdom begins as something very small and God help us to nurture the seed so that we can produce the harvest this week we want to Get into Matthew, the 18th chapter. If you would, turn with me to the 18th chapter. If you've got your smartphone there or uh, whatever, uh, your Bible, whatever it is that you have that uh, you read God's word on, if you go ahead and turn to Matthew, the 18th chapter. If you don't have anything, if you showed up and you you feel like you were unprepared, don't worry. We've thought about that as well because we'll have the scriptures. I'm pretty sure we'll have the scriptures on the screen there. Let me know if we don't. But in Matthew, uh, the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 1, right from the beginning, and we've seen Jesus talking about this idea of the kingdom throughout the gospel of Matthew and writing about this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, as as Jesus would call it. And it says there in in verse 1, in the 18th chapter, it says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest at the kingdom of heaven? I imagine it's about this time that, that if, if I could just, in my mind, if I'm picturing here, this one verse, this one thing is, is the disciples have come and they've been learning about, uh, this idea of the kingdom. And he's, he's talking to seek, First, the kingdom of God, and live righteously, and then in later on, he's teaching in parables about weeds and seeds and mustard seeds and fishes and nets, and, and he's really trying to help them. He, he's really trying to help the, the disciples understand this idea of the kingdom, and everything that he's been talking about has been these small things that make a big difference in these seeds and these these other things, and yet here the disciples the disciples have determined that they're going to ask about greatness. This whole time, Jesus has been talking about small things, and here the disciples, the only thing that they can comprehend, the only thing that they can understand is greatness, this holy competition that they've made in your mind. And I imagine it's at this moment that Jesus has one of those, like you see uh, on social media and everything, like this is probably the biggest, uh, the first facepalm ever, right? Jesus is just like, oh, God, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? You ever have that moment with your kids? Like, you ever have that moment with your kids where you had told them something a thousand times at least, right? Like, don't let the door slam on the way when you go out to take the garbage out. and Don't let the door slam in the garage, right? Or, Or do the dishes. After you've done, you know, eating and everything, rinse the dishes off. Put them in the dishwasher. It's not that hard, Right? And about the hundred thousandth time that you have told your son, your daughter, to, do the, to rinse the dishes and put it in the dishwasher, you feel like you are either losing your mind or somehow you are speaking some form of Chinese Mandarin that they do not understand. Can you feel me? Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, oh my gosh, am I speaking English? You start to question yourself Do I speak English? Do they understand English? Like, what am I, like, if I learned Spanish, would that go over better? Like, you just have these moments in your mind. And like, as a parent, you're just like, I can't even comprehend what's happening right now. And that's just, if I could see Jesus in my mind's eye, the moment that this question came out of the disciples' mouth, the moment that they uttered this words, he's like, what is, what, greatness, what are you talking about? That's not what, that's. That's not what I've been saying. That's not what the king, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? For you to even ask that question, you don't even understand what you're asking. You don't even understand what I've been saying. And it's this this moment where Jesus realizes, oh, my goodness, they still don't get it. And, And why is this so hard for us to understand. See, Jesus is talking about a vertical relationship here. Jesus is talking about the kingdom, something that God wants to do in you and through you, and it's this vertical relationship, and yet the disciples cannot stop. They cannot get their mind off of this horizontal viewpoint in which they see who's the tallest and who's the best and who rises and who falls. They have this spiritual competitiveness in their mind, and their only concern is greatness. Their only concern, see the disciples, they had this preconceived idea that this whole time, this following of Jesus, this idea of the kingdom, this, uh, this holy revolution as, as it would be and, and come to be known, this entire time they had this preconceived notion and idea that it was a competition this whole time. Can you imagine? Like in their minds, they think that they are competing like some kind of spiritual survivor. Like can you imagine that? They're all sitting around the campfire and, and, and they're all sitting there. And I imagine you've got, you know, Simon and you got James and you've got John and these, and they all have their torches, right? And you imagine going them, them like kind of going over somewhere to the rock and they're, they're scrolling down. They've got their I don't know what they used back then, but they've got their scroll, you know, somebody's ding, 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 ding. No, I don't, I think they had, you know, things. Matthew was writing this down, not on rock. Oh, maybe we're thinking Moses, but but they're scrolling down and they're like, they're like showing, you know, the camera and everything, like spiritual survivor. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus calls one of them over and Thaddeus, will you bring your torch? You know? It's your time. In fact, nobody even knows that you're a disciple. Like, nobody even knows that, and then Bartholomew, you're next, because you really don't do anything here. Like, can you imagine, like, it's some kind of, you know, sorry you weren't good enough uh, competition. Does that sound like the kingdom at all? But the disciples thought this kingdom would be like other kingdoms. See, they thought in their mind, they were thinking that this was going to be just like other kingdoms, like other things they had seen, like the Roman government, like where politics and and position and power ruled the day. See, they couldn't get, they had gotten caught up in not seeking the, the kingdom of heaven, but they were seeking position. See, they got their mind off of what God was doing And they started getting their mind on where they were in in this place, in this position, in this jockeying for position. It's kind of like when I was a kid. um, How many of you, uh, you may not have played this game, but I remember when I was a kid, we would play this game on the playground called King of the Hill. Not the cartoon TV show, but it was this game called King of the Hill. And if there was like a a lump of dirt like this morning you rolled up and there's that big mound of sand right over there and it's perfect. Like the moment I saw that over there because we're doing some site work, I thought, ooh, that'd be a great hill for King of the Hill, man like because and what you would do as a kid I'm the only one that's played this game I'm thinking nobody else understands what I'm talking about but what would you I'm going to explain it to you what king of the hill was what king of the hill was is is that when you had like five or six kids there that uh, all of a sudden you would try to determine who could get to the top of the hill and stay there and the objective of everybody else was to to run up the hill and knock you off of the hill it was a very safe game for children to be playing at the time but this was in the 80s. This was a different era where we didn't wear seatbelts and things like that. Um, so, you know, it was different. But we would run up the hill and they would try to knock you off the hill and then you'd go falling down. And Somebody else would try and take your place and then you would kind of grab them and pull them back. And all of this to try and stay at the top of the hill. And it's the only, the only way to gain position was to overtake those Around you and to see others those around you were your competition they were your competition they were they were getting in your way see doesn't it feel like this life at times doesn't it feel like we're playing some kind of king of the hill always does it sometimes feel like we're always trying to jockey for position and for some of us we always feel like somebody's grabbing us and pulling us down or somebody's knocking us off and it always feels like we're trying to climb this hill and, and if we're going to take this hill, if we're going to climb then then we've got to be better than everybody else and we've got to be smarter than everybody else and we've got to be more spiritual than everybody else and, and we've got to be better with our finances with everybody else and we've got to drive the better car and have the better house and the better looking wife and, and we've got to have the good looking well behaved kids and it's all in this effort to be the king of the hill and see the problem is nobody ever stays very long at the top of the hill and nobody ever gets to be at the hill with any at the top of the hill with anybody else and so it creates this attitude and this spirit of loneliness and what we find is uh, ultimately we become driven by the kingdoms of this world and everything becomes about competition Everything becomes about competition. Everything. You think about it now. Our society is so fueled by competition. They've started younger and younger. Where used to, man, you just, uh, kids played like, uh, I remember when I was a kid, you played like different sports, man. I played t-ball in the spring. I played soccer or football in the fall and basketball. And, but now you have the, this idea of competitive sports, And at age nine, you've got kids that are, and let me tell you something, I I can say this because I am 1000% guilty of this. That age nine, I had my son out there training for soccer four days a week, like any day the Olympics were going to call and they were going to want Tyler Alexander. You know what I'm talking about? Like any day, like I was going to get that phone call and they're going to call him up to the pros, like, you've made it, son, you're nine years old, you're the next Messi. You know, and we've we you guys that are like half this audience no clue who Messi is like the greatest soccer player in the world. And they're like we're not a soccer country. We're gonna ask you to stick to football references only, son. You know, <laughs> this this is Gator Country. We don't even have a men's soccer team. You know, <laughs> you really don't. It, the Gators don't have a men's soccer team. It's sad. But you have this idea of competition that has taken over our culture and ultimately we get to this place where we spend all this time and effort trying to gain ground, trying to gain position only to get to the place where we thought we wanted to be and realize it's not what we thought. It's empty. There's a void in our life and we look around and we're lonely and and what we found is there's just another hill on the other side of the hill that we have to climb. And see, the disciples are viewing this just as competition. And the same thing happens in our churches. The same thing happens in the lives of believers where it, we look around and we get competitive with those around us. Sometimes it's to justify the things that, that we do because sometimes we wanna look at our peers and, and we've done something or, or we don't pray enough or we don't read our Bible enough, but then what we wanna do is we wanna look around and say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Like, I'm, I might have done this, but I'm not as bad as them. They're so much worse than me. Like, and it, it's this way of making ourselves feel better about things, about better about where we are, because we've turned this into a holy competition. We've turned this into a spiritual competition. So as long as I've gra- gained ground on you, then I feel better about myself. But it's all predicated upon me lifting myself up by putting you down. See, the other way that this works sometimes is we, we bring this into the churches. We become insecure a lot of times, and I think this happens more often than, than the other. This happens is that we become insecure because we see people on Sunday, and we, man, we see them at their best, and they look good. They look stylish, and they're in here, and they're worshiping, and they're lifting their hands, and they're clapping. They might even have a little dance during the fast songs, you know what I'm saying, and, and that's why I wear sneakers, man. Don't isn't that why you guys wear sneakers to church so I can get a little, you know? Because I feel like if my exercise thing wheel hasn't spun on my iWatch, then my Apple Watch, not iWatch, but if it hasn't spun, then I haven't worshipped enough. But we get in here and we see people as they're they're doing their thing and worshiping and everything, and then all of a sudden we think, man, they are such a great Christian. They are such a great believer. I could never be like them. See, we begin to get insecure about our place in the kingdom based on what we see in them. See, it's this vertical look. It's this vertical look at our peers where we say, oh man, they stand so much taller than I do. So God must love them so much more. Jesus, you know, he might have come for me, but he really came for somebody like them. And what happens is we begin to get this insecurity into our place in the kingdom and diminish who we are. And and, and we get concerned and church becomes full of these insecure believers that ultimately become ineffective in the kingdom because they don't even think that they belong in the first place. They've gotten caught up in this uh, measuring system that was never of God. It was never intended to be. So we go back to this this question that the disciples ask. Who is the greatest? Well, Jesus continues in Matthew, the 18th chapter. But before we do that, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to take this jacket off because I am dying. Okay, is that all right? I'm going to do it anyway, but I appreciate you. I, I like it better when you guys are like, you know, consenting, but, you know, There we go, because that jacket was super, I feel better now. It was super warm. I was dying. I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm going to get a drink of water. Thank you guys for indulging me in my randomness, and, you know, God bless me with attention deficit squirrel, and um, you guys just let me get all that out. So Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 2 and 3, and, And Jesus, again, he's he's having to address these issues because the disciples still don't get it. And I imagine there are people in this audience today, and me being one of them, I still don't get it sometimes. And it's why I have to go back to God's word and I have to read it over and over and over again because I'm too prone to believing the lies. I'm too hardwired for this spiritual competition in which I have to look out and see what pastor is doing what and and how good they're preaching. And then every time Stephen Furtick drops this awesome message, I'm like, oh, man, why do I even pastor God? Why would you even call me to this? Like, if you're going to have that dude out there doing that, why am I here, man? You don't even need me. And we get caught up in this spiritual competition. And Jesus is saying, Jesus called a little child unto him. He's like, listen, here, 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 I'm gonna give you an example. He's like, Jesus was, he was awesome, man. He's the first pastor. He does visual illustrations and he brings this child up because he's like, listen, you don't get it. So I can't even trust that you know what a child is. So I'm gonna bring this child up here. And Jesus called this little child to him and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So they're talking about who's the greatest, who's the man, who's the, and I'm sure there's all this, you know, macho bravado and everything, you know, Peter's like puffing out his chest and you got John over there and, and he's, you know, calls himself the beloved and he's like, so who's the greatest, you know, I know who it is, but I just want to hear you say it. And you got all these big guys like, you know, puffing and Peter's just like, I am man, I'm Peter, I'm the rock. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not the rock, like, you know, one eyebrow up, but you know, Jesus called him the rock and and some of you got that reference, some didn't, but <laughs> I wanted to make a joke, but I'm just going to move on right there. <laughs> I just, one time I would want Peter like in heaven to just be, if you smell, what the I'm sorry, God bless you. Um, and so we see all these macho guys and in the context of the new Testament, this hurt them to their core. This crushed all of this bravado of who they thought they were. This was such a great disappointment to the disciples because they were looking for this military general. They were looking for this military coup. They were looking to overthrow. They were looking to conquer. They were looking to destroy. But yet, here Jesus says, listen, if you don't become like this child... If you don't become like this innocent, defenseless, uh, vulnerable, if you don't become like this child, then you're never going to have a part in this kingdom. You're never going to have a part in this thing that I've been trying to teach you about. You see, in the New Testament context, children were regarded mostly as, as property. I don't know that much has changed. Um, I tell my kids all the time, you know, I, when they talk about what they own and don't own, I say, I own everything, including you. Like that's how it, that's how it works. Um, children were regarded more as property than in, it was understood that they were to be seen and not heard. They were, they were not valued. They had no importance in Jewish society. They were subject to the authority of, of elders. They were not taken seriously. And the only thing that was serious about them is that you had a responsibility to to care for them, that that they were less than. And, and even in today's society, we don't look upon children. In fact, uh, the first thing we begin to say uh, when, when kids hit adolescence is, oh, man, would you grow up? I wish you would grow up. As if growing up, we've somehow figured out something, right? I don't know about you, but there are times I'm 39 years old, but there are times I feel like, man, I thought I would have more answers by now. I thought I would be smarter by now. And there are some things that I know, but there are some things that it's like my 10 year old self is looking at me like, really, dude, like you still don't know the answer to that. You know, and we still have this idea that being an adult affords us some level of greatness, some level of of status in our present society. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You have to go back and become something small. You have to go back and become something. You have to. He's referring to the character and the attitudes of children. It's like, listen, if you don't go back to the beginning, if you don't, if you don't go back to the attitude. So if, if we are going to have a place in this kingdom, we're going to have to have an attitude like a child. And so here's this morning what, what we want to talk about and a couple of things that I want to give you this morning. If, if we're going to be effective for the kingdom, if the kingdom is going to be in us and work through us, if we're going to make an impact in the city and beyond, if we're going to make an impact for him in the kingdom, then there are some certain principles that we're going to have to live by. There's a certain way that we're going to have to conduct ourselves. And I'm going to call them this morning for the purposes of this message, I'm going to call them playground principles, okay? Okay. Like, playground rules, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to go back to the beginning, we're going to go back to the, the, the days of playing on the playground, and we're going to talk about some playground rules this morning, cool? I'm going to do it either way, so whether you, whether you want me to or not. So this morning, I got three playground principles for you this morning. If you're taking notes, this might be the time where you might want to pretend like you're writing something down, uh, makes me feel good. Uh, but, but there's three playground principles that we want to talk about the, this morning. Some things, some attitudes and behaviors that we find in children that somehow we just, as as adults, we think that uh, we've evolved, we've gotten to grown up for. Things that we lose along the way that Jesus is saying, no, you have to regain these childlike principles if you're going to have a part in my kingdom. And the first one that I want to talk to you about this morning is that children, one of the things that they do really, really, really well, children say, I'm sorry. Children say, "I'm sorry," and we see here in in uh, in verse. Where am I at? In verse three, Matthew the 18 chapter. He said, "I tell you the truth. is unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never enter. You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. To turn from your sins means to repent from your sins, which essentially is meaning to say you're sorry for your sins. So he's saying you need to be able to say you're sorry." Isn't that so difficult? That is one of the hardest things. As we become adults, that becomes so much harder. I think about when I was a kid, man, on the playground, and it was so much easier to say you were sorry, man. You'd run into somebody and, oh, I'm sorry, no problem. Or, you know, something would happen, somebody would steal your toy or whatever, and they say they're sorry. Okay, let's go back to playing. In fact, I remember when I was in middle school, I was in sixth grade. And uh, I was in math class, and uh, I was sitting in front of my best friend, man, my best friend, Brady. And uh, I was sitting in front of my best friend, Brady, and that was the greatest class, right? Because when you walked into a classroom and you saw that your best friend was in it, it was like, oh, snap, this is going to be good. You know what I'm saying? And you looked at the teacher and like, you are in for problems this year. I'm going to be honest with you. And nobody else, that was just me. I'm the only one that had meetings with uh, my parents and my teachers. Okay, it's cool. Uh, but I walked in, you know. And so my best friend, Brady, man, he's in my class, and we hang out every day. He lives down the street from me. We're talking about boys. We play play every day and then one day see here's what happens as we grow up uh things begin to get in our way and so Brady's sitting behind me and I'm sitting in front of him and then there's this girl that she's kind of cute and she sits next to us and we're all three having a conversation and I'm turned around and and we're messing around and jokingly Brady decides that you know we're kind of joking and he just decides to like flip the back of my hair and I say what Like, now we have problems, and we're talking in front of this girl, and Brady just flips the back of my hair, and I'm like, what did he just do? And I didn't even know how to respond, and so I responded the only way that boys know how to respond to stuff. I punched him. I know you guys can't believe that your pastor would punch somebody, and I promise it might have been the only time that I did it, maybe I'm lying, but that moment, I didn't know what to do, and so I just kind of turned around, and I just punched him in his eye. My best friend. My best friend. And he said, and he was just shocked. You could see the level of shock and confusion on his face. And he did what only uh, another sixth grade boy would do. And he was like, you won't do that again. And I was like, well, what do I do? He, now he's calling me out. So what did I do? I punched him again. And so Because he said I wouldn't do it again. And so, I, and so next thing you know, I'm fighting in math class with my best friend, my ride or die, my, my dude, man. I'm fighting. We're rolling around. Teachers had to break us up. We had to go and all this stuff. And we end up going to the principal's office, and we get paddled. Back in the days when, yes, kids, they broke out a big wooden paddle, and they smacked you with it. I don't know what they do now. They time out you or one, two, three or something like that. I don't know. But we got hit with a paddle that had holes in it so, so that they wouldn't have wind resistance. Like, that was... It had, like, my man didn't want to have anything hinder his backswing, you know, and he followed through, and I'll never forget my assistant principal, Armin Peel was his name, and he would put you on the chair, and you just, whack, you know, and we got licks, and, and, and both of us are just so confused. I'm so confused by this whole thing, but you know, at the end of the day, we went home, and guess who we played with? I played with Brady that afternoon. He comes up to me and he's like, man, I'm sorry. I was like, man, I'm sorry too, man. I don't even know. And so immediately we were able to say, I'm sorry, and work this out. And we just went right back to playing with each other. And it's, it's amazing how as kids we, we have the ability to just forgive and get over it and, and be best friends once again. And we see this all the time on the playground. But as adults, are you kidding me? You let somebody look at you wrong. You let somebody say the wrong thing on Facebook. You let somebody comment on something. Or heaven forbid, they don't give you a thumbs up. They don't like your stuff on Instagram. I am not talking to her for the rest of my life. I don't care what she says to me. I ain't talking to her. We will straight cut somebody out of our will if they don't give us a thumbs up on social media. We lack the ability to say we're sorry, and how many times does pride get in the way? And how many times does pride ruin relationships in our lives? How many times do we, as adults, do we lack the ability, or we lose that ability to let go? And Christ is saying, "Listen, don't be afraid when you mess up. Don't be afraid to go to that person and work it out. Don't be afraid to say you're sorry." Don't be afraid, essentially saying, don't be afraid to mend relationships because this kingdom is all about relationships. This kingdom is all about relationships. And Jesus is saying, listen, if if you want this, if you want this kingdom, then you have to be willing to mend fences. You've got to be willing to say, I'm sorry. You've got to be willing to go to that person, even if they hurt you. You have to be able to get over yourself when you've hurt other people because sometimes we do that. But yet we hide behind this righteous indignation and this righteous anger. And we say we we are so prideful that we we don't want to admit because we're competitive. And that would mean that they're better than us or we're lesser than. And so we have this competitive attitude in which we can't go to somebody and submit ourselves and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I messed up. We can't go to our parents and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I've made a mistake. We can't go to our kids. I mean, you know, that it doesn't matter that they're children. Sometimes the greatest thing that you can do for your kids is go to them and say, when you've messed up as a parent, say, you know what, I'm sorry, I overreacted. That, that was a mistake on my part. I apologize. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. Yeah, you deserve punishment, but you didn't deserve me getting in your face and bullying you and screaming at your face at the top of my lungs. I overreacted because I'm going through some stuff, and I apologize to you. But See, we don't do that because we don't think we can say our sorry, we're sorry to our kids. See, we're adults. We have too much pride. We we, we can't do that with them. Kingdom principle number two. Playground principle, I'm sorry. Playground principle number two. Children value relationship over social status. Children value relationship over social status. Verse four, he says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the disciples had a hard time with this concept of humility. To them, Jesus was saying that they didn't matter. Jesus, because of their perception of what a child was, that a child didn't matter, that a child had uh, no rights, no responsibilities, no place in culture, that thus they didn't. So they're struggling and having this difficulty with understanding They're having this difficulty because of their social status they're wanting to cling to. They're wanting to cling to uh, who they are. They're wanting to cling to their role in society, their place in society, their social place where they've grown to. Like, no longer, I don't want to be a kid. I don't want to be treated like a kid. I want to be treated like an adult. But see, children, they don't, God is saying, uh, Jesus is saying, listen, you, you got to go back to being a child, and ch- children don't care about their social status. They don't care about how other people view them. They only care about relationship. You see, to them, humility meant to, to devalue or deprioritize. They got to say, no, 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 no. Humility is something altogether together different. You see, my kids, my kids have no economic value. You guys understand that, Right? And I, I remind them of this every now and again, jokingly. I hope they understand it's a joke. But my children have zero economic value. In fact, uh, I, I repeatedly joke with my son that he is a drain on our economy, that he is a deficit in which uh, our, our economy will, will get a lot better when you know that's corrected in, in years to come. Uh, but he is a technically a drain on our economy. And, and from the moment they're born, right? From the moment they're born, they become this incredible drain. on. I mean, it's diapers, it's wipes, it's clothes, and every five seconds they need new shoes. Like, we had to go out and buy cleats again for, like, the 1500th time. And it's like, man, why can't you just keep wearing the same cleats? And, like, Mackenzie's foot is, like, popping out the top of it. And it's like, oh, you know? They are a drain on our economy. And so they, they don't have value except for the value that they have in, in being my child. Now, see, when they were little and and when they were on the playground, there wasn't a whole lot of value that that they had. But I do remember that that they would always point to their mom and dad and they would point to that's my mom. That's my dad. And they're always very proud of that. And a lot of times what kids will do is they'll ascribe their value to who their parent is. Man, look and see. Look, that's my parent. That's my mom. That's my dad. And so they didn't count it lost. They didn't count themselves as being less than. They valued the relationship that they had. Likewise, their value didn't come in what they brought economically to our family. Their value came simply from the fact that they're mine. Their value came simply from the fact they found their value in their relationship to me. They found their value in the fact that they are our Dustin's son, that they are Jessica's daughter. See, that's where we get mixed up. But see, we're not trying to find our value in the appropriate places. But see, in this, in this case, see, at the hospital, they didn't come out and somebody give me money to take them. I claim them as my own. You know what I'm saying? And if somebody gave you money to take your kids, let me know where that person is. They got a debt to pay. I claim them as my own immediately because, because they were mine. There was nothing that they could do, would do, should do, anything. There was nothing that they could do to earn this. They couldn't do anything to earn this title. It was simply me claiming them as my own. And see, what Jesus is saying is that your value is found in the one who has claimed you. Think about that for a second. See how often are we chasing the value and the competition of this world that values our our social status, that values how many followers we have, that values what our bank account looks like, that values what our friend circle looks like, and and how many times uh, we get thumbs up in these things. And see, we are chasing a value system where Jesus said, no, 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 your value, your status comes in the fact that I've claimed you. It comes in the fact that before you were born, I knew you. It comes in the fact that while you were yet sinners, I loved you enough to come and die for you. See, there are some of you that you're you're getting caught up You're getting caught up in in the kingdoms of this world. You're getting caught up in a value system that was never intended for you. And you're thinking, even in this spiritual context, I could never do anything to be good enough for him. I could never do anything to be good enough for church. I could never do anything to be good enough to serve in church. And he's saying, you don't have to. The price was already paid. I've already claimed you. All you have to do is accept the title as my son or daughter because I love you already. Scripture says that we are seated in heavenly places. Paul said we are seated in heavenly places. Meaning we, have, we are co-heirs with Jesus. He has granted unto us kingship. We are prince status, princess status. He has claimed you. And you can't find that in the kingdoms of this world. You can only find it in his kingdom. As we close, and the musicians come quickly. The, the third and final principle, the playground principle. Children accept says in verse five that anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. We need to learn to welcome people. We need to learn to to welcome others into our life. We need to learn to welcome friendships. We need to learn to welcome those who may not look like us, act like us. They might not uh, think the same way. They might not have the political leanings that we do. But see, the kingdom is about welcoming people into our life so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ, so that we can share this great gift that we have. And it's amazing that children are so good at this. I watch in our daycare is kids from every every race, ethnicity, background. There are kids that have their parents have a lot of money. There are kids that their parents are barely struggling to survive. But you know what? None of those kids have any idea about that, nor do they care. They just play. They just get along. Sometimes they fight. They say they're sorry. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we were at SeaWorld, and we were doing some uh, work. You know, some of you guys know we, we do extra commercial work, things like that, on the side just for fun with our family. And we spent the whole day shooting this uh, goofy commercial at, at SeaWorld, and we're hanging out there. And there's a bunch of kids and everything because they're doing a special kids thing. And at the beginning of the day, we knew nobody going in there. And by the end of the day, I'm walking, and we're, we're about finished. It's been a long day, and we're about finished. And I see my daughter with, like, she's already gathered to herself. She's got this squad of girls with her. Like, they are going out there, and they're all holding hands, walking through SeaWorld. And you have every color, ethnicity, every, every kind of person represented. And I just remember looking at that and thinking, man, that's the kingdom right there. That's beautiful. How beautiful that is in the sight of God. That she didn't even know these girls at the start of the day. But by the end of the day, I, I'm looking at my wife and I was like, did Mackenzie just become best friends with these girls? Like, did that just happen? Like, they're walking through SeaWorld holding hands. They've got, they made up some name for their girl group. I don't even remember what it was, man. They got like their own name. And by the end of it, they've got their own apparel. I think one of them had a headband and they branded it TM. I don't know. I don't know how far this is going. But she still, she still FaceTimes and talks to some of those girls that she met one day. She will likely never see them again. But see, her spirit, just like any child, just like a child, it's just welcoming. See, how many people in your workplace, how many people in your life are, welcome, are, are waiting for you to welcome them? They would accept your Jesus if you would accept them first. They're waiting on you to accept them first. Because if you won't accept them, then how could your Jesus accept them? See, that's the kingdom. It's a work in us and through us. He's saying, I want to do something in you so that then that can be spread throughout the world. See, that by... Whereby which, when you welcome somebody, when you're willing to welcome somebody, when you welcome Christ into your heart and then you go out and you welcome other people with the love of Jesus Christ, then he's saying, I can work with that. I can do something with that. See, you're no longer in competition with people. You no longer care about the status. You no longer care if you're good enough, bad enough, because you've already been claimed as his own. You're already in the kingdom. You already belong. You don't have to worry about that. So now you can go out and you can welcome others into the kingdom. You can welcome those who don't look like you. You can welcome those who don't act like you. They don't talk like you. If you're a Republican, it's okay that you welcome in a Democrat. Jesus loves them too. And if you're a Democrat, it's okay if you love a Republican. You don't have to throw tomatoes at your neighbor's Trump sign in their yard. It's okay. because Jesus doesn't care about either of those kingdoms. Let me tell you that right now. He didn't die for either Democrat or Republican. He died for you. Who are we welcoming? Who is it that we're keeping from Christ in our life that, man, if we would go in and we would welcome them, who's that person at work that nobody talks to? Maybe they're kind of weird. Usually it's the IT guy. If you're, if you're just wondering. <laughs> I don't know why I make jokes in serious moments. <laughs> like, who is it? Think about it. Who is it in your family that feels like an outcast? Who is it that feels like there's no way that Jesus could ever love them, that they don't belong, that maybe they're caught up in the, in the trappings of the king of the hill game? Maybe they're caught up in in this competition. Maybe they're caught up in the insecurities. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've gotten caught up in the insecurities of life and thinking that you're not good enough. But Christ is saying, no, I died. I came. I died for you. This kingdom is for you. And I want to do something great in you in the kingdom. I have already claimed you. And there's nothing you could do or not do to make me love you any less. This morning, if that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of you that maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted him in your heart. You've never felt like you've never felt like you've been welcomed. I'm here to tell you this morning that you are welcome. You are welcome in his kingdom. You are welcome in this church. You are welcome in this place. We believe that found life is a place where people can belong no matter what your background is. We are going to love people to Jesus Christ. That means we're going to disagree sometimes. That means that we're going to say I'm sorry sometimes but we are gonna welcome everybody into his kingdom because that's what he's called us to do and that's what his kingdom is about. And this morning, if you're here and you've never had that opportunity, I wanna give you that opportunity. Paul said that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is, sa- is Lord, that you can be saved. It's just that simple. That you can be part of this kingdom. And this morning, as we pray, as you just simply confess that, simply say, Jesus, I just accept you into my life and I wanna live for you the rest of my days. It's just that simple. And for those of you that maybe you've been struggling in your place of value and and you've been struggling with this idea of competition, I pray that that would just break in the name of Jesus right now. We're going to pray that no longer are you going to care what people think. No longer are you going to care about the insecurities that the enemy and the lies that he's trying to build up in your life to keep you from doing what God wants you to do in his kingdom. Know that you are a mighty force, that God wants to begin a small work in you that will grow into a huge and produce a huge harvest. Amen. That God wants to do something incredible out of those in this room right now and wherever we go. And for the rest of your life, let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be part of your kingdom. Lord, we don't take it for granted, but Lord, we are thankful. And God, I pray right now that you would do a work in the lives of the hearts of those whom you love. God, those whom you've you've sent your son to die for. God, I pray that right now that they would know that they are loved this morning that there is nothing that they could have done in their past that would, that would take them away from your love. God, that you have brought them in this place, if only to tell them that you love them and that you have a place for them in your kingdom. And God, for us, I pray that, Lord, that you would humble us, that you would help us to remember what it is to be like a small child, to, to accept those around us, to not, to not care about social status, but to care more about relationship with you, God, and to be able to say we're sorry, Lord, to those around us so that we can be a light in the darkness. God, so that we can welcome others into your kingdom, Lord, so that we don't get caught up in the distractions of the world and the distractions of the enemy. But God, we are kingdom focused as we go on to our job. We are kingdom focused when we go to school. God, we are kingdom focused when we travel wherever we go. God, we are kingdom focused and we are welcoming others, Lord God, into your church, into your kingdom. God, and into love and light and in you, Lord. God, I pray right now you would touch and change hearts and God if there is one here this morning that maybe they have not accepted your son Jesus Christ I pray that they would pray this prayer God that they would accept your son Jesus Christ that he came that he lived a sinless life and that he died that he rose again and ultimately one day he is coming back for us God that he loved us in spite of everything that we have done that he came for our sins. And so we don't have to be ashamed, but Lord, we can lay that at the foot of the cross and we can receive salvation this morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give him praise? (claps) If you'll let him.